Ohio women lead in so many areas. They make up more than half the electorate. They tend to live longer. They hold the majority of college degrees. So then why do they continue to find themselves behind? That's the question that a comprehensive report aims to answer, and it's data that researchers hope will be a game changer. Welcome to The Sound of Ideas. I'm Ken Schneck, and this week for Jenny Hemmel. This morning, we will be diving deep into new research from the Center for Community Solutions on the health, social, and economic lives of Ohio women in 2023. Covering all 88 counties, these fact sheets include multiple data points from multiple sources derived from multiple points in time, but all presenting multiple opportunities to both learn about and support the status of women. But first, the news. It's the Sound of Ideas from Ideastream Public Media. I'm Ken Schneck in the host chair this week while Jenny Hemmel is away. Thank you so much for joining us. A new study was just released that takes a thorough look at women in Ohio through myriad data points. Entitled Status of Women, this unbelievably rich research was produced by the Center for Community Solutions, a nonpartisan Cleveland-based think tank focused on solutions to health, social, and economic issues. The data covers all 88 counties, and the report digs into everything from age to race demographics to high school graduation rates, labor labor force participation, so much more. For example, the report shows that nearly 46 percent of women over the age of 25 in Medina County hold a college degree. The report finds that female-headed households are disproportionately impacted by poverty in Tuscarawas County. And that word does not come naturally to my New Jersey tongue, but I said it. And the report found that there are no hospitals that offer obstetric care in Lorain County. Today on the program, we're going to take a deep dive into this report. And while the numbers are a great resource for policymakers, we're also going to spend some time talking about what comes next. What do we do with this data? Also, stick around as close to the end of the show today for the second half, we're going to wrap up this year's Consumer Electronics Show with tech expert Jared Bendis, whose videos I have been just consuming by the minute. But first, let me introduce our guest for the first half. Emily Campbell is the president and CEO of the Center for Community Solutions. Emily, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for having me. And Angela Marr, Research Association at the Center and Data Lead of the Status of Women's Study. Angela, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here, Ken. We would love for all of you to join the conversation. You can call 866-578-0903 or 216-578-0903. If you want to go all tech, email us, soi at ideastream.org or tweet us. We're at Sound of Ideas. We ready? Emily, I wore my Wonder, Women's, Wonder Woman socks for today because oh, I am wonderful. excited to have this conversation. Before we dig into the data, I actually want to talk about a quote that if you scroll all the way down on the landing page, you find this quote from Vice President Kamala Harris. The quote is, the status of women is the status of democracy. Can you talk a little bit about how that quote helps frame this report? Absolutely. Uh, when we looked at conditions across Ohio, what we started to notice is that things impact different groups of our population in different ways. You know, women make up half, a little over half of the population of people that are living in communities, but we don't often have the opportunity to look at the issues that are impacting women specifically. And what we see 
are that the places that women thrive are the communities that are thriving in general. Oh, man. So is that that was the impetus for this report to put together all this research to paint that picture? Absolutely. As we went through the pandemic, we started to notice that things were impacting women, especially working mothers in different ways than other people um, in the population. In fact, we saw in 2021 about 10 times as many women canceled their plans to seek higher education than men, um, about 170,000 women across Ohio. We saw many women taking themselves out of the labor force, the workforce, to stay at home, to work with their children as the children were in remote school. And so we really wanted to be able to quantify some of those differences and see if what we were hearing was borne out in the data. Angela, I'm a qualitative researcher, so looking at these numbers tends to overwhelm me a little bit. How long did it take to collect all of this data? The project itself took several months, I mean, but a lot of that was just talking about what we wanted to include and finding what was available to include. You know, we were looking for data points that were relevant to experiences for women that we could also find at a county level available broken out by sex. And so a, a lot of the process was just seeing what was available and then compiling it. But I agree, compiling it like that, it is, it's overwhelming to know what's the story here. And so it's something we've still been unwinding as we put these fact sheets out to communities is looking at it with partners and saying, what do you see and what do we see and what is the story here? I love the word partners. You worked with a ton of different groups and organizations to put this together. We pulled the data mostly from government sources. The majority of the data comes from the U.S. Census Bureau. Um, the Census Bureau is a wonderful resource. They have their American Community Survey that they are constantly putting out to a subset of households. So every year there's fresh data that they update those numbers with. And we know that we can get that data at the county level. I mean, it goes all the way down to a census track level. So we just knew starting out anything we could get from the Census Bureau we'd be able to use in the report as long as the, the point was broken out by males and females or, or men and women. Um, but we did end up getting data from other government sources, the Ohio Department of Health, the um, Centers for Disease and Control had some, um, Ohio Department of Education. Uh, when we did get data from non-government sources like the March of Dimes or AARP or Ohio Domestic Violence Network, we knew that they were trusted sources of data. And often they were getting the data from other government sources they had access to. So for example, the March of Dimes, when they put out their facilities offering obstetric care numbers, they got that from the U.S. Health Resources and Services Administration. And we actually went back and used that same data file to, to use the numbers that the March of Dimes used. But by the time we were doing it, we had one year more recent data than the March of Dimes. Let's jump into the data. The, the first section is about social indicators. Start us off with that section. What, what does that section tell us? The, the social indicators are telling us that um, we, we first we broke out, we didn't break it out by equal years of age. We tried to find significant age breakouts in the data because we know that like those teen years are very significant for women and girls um, and then you know 65 and older and then we have 80 and older because our population is aging. There are 12 counties in Ohio where the population 65 and older is has more has larger than the population 18 and younger. Um, but we do have large numbers of children in our state as well. Um, we look at race and ethnicity in the state. We know that we are very, we are more diverse in our city centers than we are in our rural communities. And that's important for how we look at data. In fact, we couldn't break out many data points by race for our county fact sheets. We didn't break out any because for many counties, there's not meaningful data broken out of that level because the numbers are so small. When you're both trying to break it out by race and by gender, that intersectionality really shows itself in the data that you, you can't even find it when you need to. Um, we find that women participate in um, our civic life 
more than men. They are registered to vote and going to vote at higher rates than men in our state. And also girls are graduating high school at higher rates than men or boys and obtaining college degrees at higher rates. This was surprising in that we saw it in almost every county. It wasn't just a statewide statistic that urban centers are carrying or something because they have more numbers. We saw it in about 85 of the 88 counties had girls graduating high school at higher rates than boys and women obtaining degrees at higher rates than men, in some cases by as much as 10%. Um, And they might not be in counties you would think. In fact, a lot of our rural counties had some of the largest disparities in the college degrees. We talked, Emily, a little bit before we went on the air just about some of the limitations of the data, about how census data right now doesn't really account for LGBTQ plus identity. Uh, and, and certainly, as Angel just mentioned, uh, the intersectionality piece of allowing people to be their, their full selves when looking at the data. Can you talk a little bit about the limitations in, in looking at this research? Yes, these fact sheets pull together 160 data points from 13 different sources, but we still weren't able to look at all of the things that we would have liked to just because the information isn't available. You know, the data sources are starting to provide information broken down by different categories that are really important and meaningful in people's lives, be that gender identity or um, age sometimes or race and ethnicity, but we still have a long way to go. And so in this report, and, and when we talk about the data, we do use that binary language because that's what the original data source is still utilizing. But the limitations on what was available for every county in Ohio, the large and the small ones, broken down by sex or gender, and available in a timely fashion, all of this data was collected 20, 20 or later. So we're looking at you know the pandemic era when we're trying to look at the status of women. Um, It was a real challenge. And one thing that is notably missing from the status of women fact sheets is good information on child care and on some of those issues. And we scoured for weeks looking for a, a reliable data source that would really capture what we're hearing from women and from parents across the state. And we just it doesn't exist. So this is something that Community Solutions is going to be asking for and advocating for to try and figure out how can we quantify these issues that we hear so much about when we talk to people in communities. Well, you're setting me up nicely to, to move into the second section. Is it, We're going section by section. We could do hours just on each individual section. So I, I, it must be painful for me to move on to something else. It's hurting me. Emily, you, you've said that you wished we had more access to health information for, for women. What were you able to find, though, about uh, health indicators there in the second section? And, and what could we use more information about? Yes, absolutely. Many of the health indicators are related to sexual and reproductive health because those are the things that are broken down um, by sex in the health statistics. One of the things that was striking to our team is that since Medicaid expansion, the vast majority of people in Ohio and women in Ohio have some form of health insurance coverage, about 95%. And many more are relying on public coverage through Medicaid or through Medicare for that health insurance coverage. But we still see um, that women are less likely to be up to date on some of their preventive health screenings, older women than older men. Um, And we see far too many women who are being diagnosed with cervical cancer at late stage. This is a treatable, a highly preventable form of cancer thanks to the HPV vaccine. Some even say that it's curable when caught early because 
um, treatments are so effective. And when we see that people are being diagnosed at late stage, it tells us that they haven't had their preventive care through a pap smear um, and are missing those opportunities for good health. We would love to get you all in on this conversation. Please call 866-578-0903 or 216-578-0903 or email us at soi at ideastream.org. We will also take your tweets. We're at Sound of Ideas. Anything to add there, Angela, with the, the health information part? There's There's got to be so much more that you wanted in that section. There is, but we did do a lot around oh, yeah. maternal and infant health and birth outcomes, which is something that's very critical. You know, giving birth is not something that every woman experiences, but for those that do, it's such a significant event. And it has a lot of repercussions, both physically, emotionally, mentally, and financially. And we still see very uh, disturbing data nut points. Um, we know that maternal mortality numbers are higher in the U.S. than they are in other peer nations around the world. Um, Ohio's number is lower than the national average, but it hides racial disparities in that outcome. And, and that's something that we try to keep an eye on. And additionally, birth outcomes, we know that there's disparities in, in which babies are being born early or being born pre you know, prematurely or low birth weights and who's receiving cesarean sections. We also have a lot of concerns about who has access to maternal care in the state. There are 13 counties that have been designated maternity care deserts by the March of Dimes and four additional counties that have low access to maternal care. And this is data that was based on 2019. You know, I just read recently from the Ohio Hospital Association that since 2022, 13 hospitals in Ohio have closed or consolidated maternity units. So this is a data point that is trending in a bad direction. It's, it's worsening and it's getting harder for, for women to have access to those maternal care services. Emily, do we know why that's happening? Why, why they're closing? You know, a lot of it has to do with the changes in the health in the health industry, the consolidation that is happening. But we did find that about one fifth of women in Ohio leave their home county to give birth. That's a lot. It is. It is. And this is this is a particular indicator that we see heading in the wrong direction. And so thinking about providing some of these services perhaps outside of central hospitals, um, having more doulas, more midwives, more birthing centers in communities to provide these important services um, is something that we're actively working on at Community Solutions. You, you mentioned the pandemic earlier and how the pandemic factors into this report. The, the last section is for economic indicators. And folks can't see, they are shuffling through papers because there is so much data to get to here and you're doing it so effectively there. H how much, Emily, did the pandemic have an impact on, on women uh, and, and economic factors there in that third section? You know, we were surprised to see that things like labor force participation um, for women, they fell precipitously at the early days of the pandemic, but have really returned close to pre-pandemic levels. We were expecting to see something different in the data, um, but it does look like some of those economic indicators have recovered. I think the biggest thing that we see in the economic data is a continuing gender wage gap. So in Cuyahoga County, women who are working full-time earn just 81 and a half cents for every dollar that full-time working men are earning. And we see a gender pay gap in every county across the state. Does that surprise you, right? We've been talking about wage gap. I, I can't think of a time we haven't been talking about wage gap. Was there a part of you both that thought, well, it's, the data is not going to reveal that? It certainly might be better. So it is, it is getting a little bit better, okay. but progress is very slow. And 
you know, as as a woman that stepped into leadership, I'm only the third woman to lead this organization in 110 years. You know, I, I see the progress that's being made of women stepping into the highest echelons of power and leadership and sort of hoped that maybe it would be different. Really, what we think is driving the persistence of the wage gap is jobs within industries. So one of the largest gender pay gaps or wage gaps is in the legal profession. And we think it's because of the difference between what, say, paralegals are paid versus what the you know highest, well, most well-heeled partners at the largest law firms. We see the same thing in healthcare. You know, women are much more likely to be in the the caring professions and the caring side of healthcare, especially as home health aides, which are some of the lowest wages of any full-time workers in the state. Compare that to um, you know some of the surgeons or the physicians or the folks that have earnings that are many times. Uh, those home health aides. Angela, let's talk about poverty and and what you found with regarding to women experiencing poverty and and being more vulnerable to poverty. What did the findings reveal there? Very consistently, women are experiencing higher rates of poverty. Um, The highest rates of poverty for women are when they're girls, when they're children, and that's about on par with boys for, for men as well. Like, Boys and girls are experiencing the highest rates of poverty. But then as we get into other age groups, women experiencing are experiencing higher rates of poverty in all the different age groups we looked at once you get into adulthood. And that gap between men and women for poverty is greatest during what we kind of term the prime childbearing years when women are likely to be raising a family or having a family. We found that there is a disparity in the um, percent of female-headed households in a county and the percent of female-headed households in poverty in counties in every county in Ohio. Females are overrepresented in households with poverty in every county. We also found that women are twice as female-headed households are twice as likely to be in poverty as regular all households, and three times as likely if they have children in the household as well. You also dove into older women and older women living alone. How does that information support what we need for for that specific population? You know, my my colleague, Dr. Susanna Tees, who worked extensively on these as well, as long, as well as the whole team at the Center for Community Solutions, put out the statistic that apparently around the world, 40% of older adults live with extended family members. And in the U.S., it's more like 6%. And I think that, for me, that really gave me the picture of what what that difference would be when we have so many older adults living alone. We know that that isolation and socialization are challenges when, when you're older adult living alone, and that really impacts your quality of life. It impacts your your well-being, your mental health, your emotional health, which we know is correlated with your physical health as well. So I think when we look at that that trend of older adults living alone and women are more likely to be living alone as an older adult with our aging population, there's a lot of implications for the services and the kind of community resources we need to have available for our older adults. We actually got an email from from Susan asking about uh, information regarding older women. Was that we find sometimes in doing LGBTQ plus research that it's it's difficult to find information on elders? Uh, were there any struggles there to to locate that data for older women? The data points we included, we were able to get at the census, but I think if we were looking more broadly, it it would be harder. Yes, we you know the data that we're able to report is really about who lives where, what are their economic conditions. It tells us a little glimmer of quality of life, but not all of the things that we would love to report or that are important. And when we think about older women, one of the things that we see is that after losing a spouse, men are much more likely than women 
to remarry. And so it's about support within within your own household and who you're living with instead of having to bring in support from outside to make sure that you're able to take care of yourself and your family. Yeah. Again, if you want to get in on the conversation, 866-578-0903 or 216-578-0903. I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about what do we do with all of this? Can we just start from the, the that top level view? Someone reads through the report. What do you want people to feel when they close that last page? Let, let's start with the emotional impact of this report, Emily. Sure. Well, we want we want people to be moved to action. Um, every one of these indicators suggests that things could be better. We could close those gaps. We could reduce the disparities. Um, we could target our resources in ways that help those in the community that need the most assistance. And so that's one of the things that we really hope to take away from that people take away from it. Our other hope and desire for this work was to quantify in one place, pull together and compile all of this information looking specifically at women and girls. And we hope that everyone that looks at this information will find something that they can take with them into their work or into their day-to-day lives to really generate conversations about how do we move our communities forward and make sure that we bring everyone along as we're making progress. Any low-hanging fruit? Where do we start? What's something that just pops out at you where you would say, yep, let's start there. Let's We can check that off and, and address that. Yeah, I think one of the places to start is in uh, the disconnect between women receiving more degrees in higher education and participation in the workforce. That's a lot of lost opportunity. We know that the more education someone has, the higher their earnings are likely to be. And so we need to examine why are women taking themselves out of the picture and what supports can be made available so that they are able to um, participate fully in the workforce and use their degrees in the ways that they want to. Yeah. Angela, any data points that you think are going to immediately activate folks? Stuff that just leaps off the page of, oh, holy crud, what do we do there? Oh, there's so many. And I think it will depend on the person. You know, you ask what we want people to get from this. And you also said that you're a qualitative person. So this is this is our numbers, right? These are numbers on a page. And and women is a very large group in a different group. And I would hope that these are the the starting points for conversations like we're having and for asking the questions of why. Why are these numbers the way they are or what is the trend? You know, one of the things we found, one of the strongest trends we found is that births to teen mothers are declining in every county. Well, except for one, but it was like half percent up, but pretty much in every county across the state. And, you know, asking why has that been and what are what's happening that's good that we can keep doing and supporting, you know, that kind of question. Or, you know, the wage gap, it was like 29 counties in the last five years actually increased that wage gap. I think we know there's a gap, but I don't think we expect it to be getting bigger as opposed to closing. So what was happening in those counties, it's different from other counties. Um, you know, one of the points is that we uh, women who are mothers are working at, are participating in the labor force at higher rates in, the, in Ohio than in the nation. I don't know why that is, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Is it because it's easier to be in the workforce and they want to and that's a good thing? Or is it because they can't make ends meet without doing that and it's actually a huge stressor for families? You know, there's there's a lot of why questions from looking at this. And I think we're hoping that people who look at these fact sheets and maybe have an interest in a particular area will ask those questions and have that conversation with us to see what what's going on here and what can we do to make it better. 
Can we even drill down a little bit more, Emily, into when, when we talk about people responding, can we talk about policymakers? How do you take this research and present it to policymakers? What, what inspires action there? Absolutely. You know, this quantitative data, these numbers and statistics can confirm or deny what people are hearing in their communities and what policymakers are hearing from their constituents. And so a great example, we released um, legislative district fact sheets last year that looked at every state, House and Senate district in Ohio, and we're able to take those into legislators' offices and say, in your district, there are thousands of people relying on the Medicaid program for their health insurance coverage. This is an issue that impacts your community that you are representing. And it helps us start conversations about who are they representing, what are the issues facing those particular communities, and what are some of the solutions? And as much as all respect to our neighbors in Tuscarawas County, I just want to prove that I can say it. I don't even know if I got it right. Let, let's talk about here in Northeast Ohio. What are some of the call-outs here in Northeast Ohio that you want people to know about? Absolutely. One of the things about Northeast Ohio counties, specifically Cuyahoga, Summit, Lorraine, and Stark, is that they are some of the most racially and ethnically diverse counties in the state. And so when we look at the data for the whole county, it's masking a lot of differences um, between groups. And so uh, we always try to to dig down and remember that, you know, this is the county average, but there's so much variety within and among counties. I have to say, did you celebrate when you finished? You finished this huge research report, Angela. Was there a fist pumped in the air? There was relief, that's for sure. And we also put out uh, an Ohio fact sheet. So we've got the 88 counties plus the Ohio fact sheet. So we quickly turned around and made sure we got that out the door so that we have that available because we were able to break some of the numbers down by race at the state level. We had that available and some other indicators that we couldn't get at the county level. I suspect each piece of research inspires you to do more research. Where are you headed next? I really do want to look at that child care number because it's not that we found nothing. One of the things we found was that there's a very comprehensive federal resource for costs of child care that hasn't been updated since 2018 and doesn't seem like it's going to be, and I don't know why. But I do want to share what we found. We didn't find data that was easy to put in a fact sheet. We found numbers that needed a lot of explaining because they were with maybe the publicly funded child care, and then there's a sliding scale with that. So I plan to dive into what's there because it is such a critical piece of how families are able to make ends meet right now or not. Yeah. Emily, what's coming up next? Another piece that we're digging into is the status of girls. So looking specifically at teens, at girls, and at young women, um, and, and looking at data, we're seeing some very concerning information about behavioral health, mental health, and well-being. Those are things that we couldn't include in these fact sheets, but there will be an extensive report on some of those issues to accompany some of this data that will be coming out within the next month. Emily, where can folks go to learn more? They can visit our website at communitysolutions.com. While you're there, we'd encourage people to subscribe to our Five Things You Need to Know newsletter. It's delivered to your inbox every Monday with five key things that are happening in the community. Because not to shout out the name of your organization, there are actual solutions associated with this research. There absolutely are. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time quantifying issues, but we sometimes quip we're not the Center for Admiring Problems. We're the Center for Community Solutions. So we use this information in our own advocacy, in our own work with other nonprofits, with government, and with philanthropy to try to illuminate something important about communities that we can use to take action. 
The report is called Status of Women. Emily Campbell is the president and CEO CEO of the Center for Community Solutions. Thanks for being here, Emily. Thank you for having me. Angela Marr is a research association a research associate at the Center for Community Solutions. Angela, I read this research and was thankful that there are people like you who know how to do this type of research. I do not. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ken. Amazing work. Thank you both for coming in. Time now for a quick break, but on the other side, we're going to recap this year's Consumer Electronics Show. This is The Sound of Ideas. I'm Ken Schneck. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Sound of Ideas from Ideastream Public Media. I'm Ken Schneck. I'm in this week for Jenny Hamill. Thanks so much for being with us this hour. The world's biggest technology companies assemble each year in Las Vegas at the Consumer Electronics Show. We're going to be referring to that as CES for the rest of this hour. That's where they demonstrate the year's hottest new gadgets. The newest in artificial intelligence, color-changing cars, plants that clean your home, wearable tech that can save your life, All of this gets introduced to the world at CES. And each year, we get a recap of CES with our favorite Sound of Ideas tech guru, Jared Bendis. He's an associate professor and chair of game design at the Cleveland Institute of Art and creative new media officer at Case Western Reserve University. Jared, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. If you would like to join in on the conversation and share in Jared's enthusiasm and how we all want the Jetsons right Right this very second, you can call 866-578-0903 or 216-578-0903. You can email us at soi at ideastream.org or tweet us. We're at Sound of Ideas. And we can also note, because we want to drive up your traffic, Jared, if you want to take a look at all the tech that we discussed today, check them out on Jared's TikTok channel. I'm telling you in advance, you are going to lose hours of your life, as I did happily. His account is JaredX2. You ready to start, Jared? I'm ready. You, I, I have to talk about you a little bit. You grew up in Cleveland Heights. Were you always someone who got excited about tech? Yeah, I was, I mean, I was always very geeky about technology and that's, it's never not been my thing. And it's when I do this type of stuff, people are like, yeah, we're not surprised. I was always the gadget guy. And my, uh, my former boss at Case Western Reserve University once turned to me, he's like, you know, I was talking to my other gadgeteer and I'm like, what did you call me? And he goes, well, gadgeteer. And I'm like, I've never heard that. And like instantly it's on my business card, gadgeteer. And I'm like, it's so much better than like, you know, nerd or geek or dweeb or whatever you want to use it. I, I'm putting gadgeteer on my LinkedIn. I have no qualifications for that, but that's incredible. What number CES was this for you? How many times have you been? I think 11 or 12. And there was the one that was during lockdown. And it was funny because during lockdown, they went all like, we're going to go all online. And I'm like, oh, this is so awful because it was an awful experience. And I ended up generating like 13 hours of content on something that I was trashing about how I wasn't enjoying the experience. And I'm like, oh, I guess I was deep diving into it. Did you approach it any differently this year, it, it being the 11th or 12th, however many times you've been? You know, I did in the sense that I always try to make sure that as I'm getting older, I'm not taking the Pokemon approach. I've got to catch them all. I can't see everything. So I've got to like take care of my body. I got to take care of my time. I mean, I'm walking 12 miles a day or more when I'm doing this, but I'm also going to stop for lunch. I'm going to have conversations. And I think this year was very specific that if I went by a booth and I said, what do you got new this year? And they said, nothing. I'm like, 
good to see you. And I just left. I, I wasn't doing things just because I'd been there before. Oh, what? Ge- let's talk general impressions. What what general impressions did you have from this year's? Do we call it? A, it's a convention. It's, it's a, a it's a I think it's a convention. I say conference. I shouldn't. It's a convention. I mean, the thing about it is, is I was really the words AI were everywhere. And it was getting so frustrating seeing the words AI everywhere where it was just like, oh, my God, please. God. And the first booth I stopped at, the person said the word AI four times in two sentences. And I'm like, is this going to be the whole? But it turns out after a while, the people who were saying AI meant it and it was getting exciting. But I mean, last year, you know, before that, it was smart. So it's like we, we go through cycles. I also heard through the grapevine, you do not love the phrase world's first. Oh like, I can't God. even say this is the world's first time you've been on the show. It's not true, Jared. Well, world's first is 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 a trigger for me. And I actually, and I will razz people mercilessly with this. And uh, I've had people who, who've thanked me afterwards. They're like, we are going to go home and tell our marketing people. If a company tells you that the world's first, first of all, they tend not to be. They tend not to know what they're doing to any history. But more importantly, I always tell them, I'm not your mother. I don't care. Like, as a consumer, I don't care you're the first. I want to hear the third. I want to hear that the second guy knocked off the first guy and you've got a business plan. World's first doesn't mean a lot to me as a consumer. What it means a lot is that you're the best, you're the cheapest, and most reliable. And I have to imagine, by the way, I've never even been to Las Vegas, much less one of these. I I was overwhelmed watching some of your videos, which was an incredible experience just for that element. I have to imagine that the way that they showcase the products in some ways is even just as important as the products themselves. Well, some people are spectacle, like the spectacle booths. Like I didn't even stop at the LG booth this year. And LG is known for like a waterfall of monitors. And at some point you're like, I've done that. Or, you know, generally when you walk by like the Panasonic booth or the Samsung booth, which I did stop at, but normally I wouldn't have, because it's sort of like it's it's like going to the the, the car show and seeing those experimental cars that you'll never never see again, or if you just wait six months, you're going to see him at the store. So I don't care about the things that I'm going to discover at Best Buy in six months. I want to see about the things that are so interesting or so innovative, and those generally aren't happening at the big booths. I mean, don't get me wrong, you stop at Sony. (laughs) Enough of the general. Let's dive into products. Let's start first with the Augmental Mouth Pad. This was a big moment for you. This was, you know, every year people vie for my attention. At, 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 this is where it gets to the point where at some point you walk by and people are like, oh my God, come come do us. Because I, I filmed like 130 videos at this event. And so there's lots of people who want me to make a video there. And when I stopped at the Augmental booth and I'm like, what do you got? And it looks like a retainer. It just looks like a retainer and the guy puts it in his mouth. And in, the, in this piece of molded plastic is a battery, some circuitry, and it's a mouth pad, and that's not me speaking improperly, use your tongue and you're able to type and use a controller. And all of a sudden, the pictures come up of people in wheelchairs. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh my God, you're, you're allowing people who have no control whatsoever except of the smallest little motion. And they're talking about using you know, the jaw and the tongue and little head motions and being able to type and move wheelchairs and all these other things. And you're like, yeah, you win. <laughs> and it's out, it's available, it's in beta. But like it was like they're selling. They they told me that they would send people kits that do mouth measurements, and then they send them back a unit. Right now, I think it lasts five hours. They hope the battery will last eight hours. It's rechargeable, and so every time somebody said, "Oh, are you going to talk about me on the radio?" I go, uh, "No, the mouth pad people are going to win because it's so 
it's so impactful. And it's not just impactful for people with disabilities. You start thinking about all these other places where you think, think that you might need to be hands-free and go, oh, my God. Can I just say, other than the sanitary aspects, and I do have some questions off the air on that one, why is this good? Why is the mouth pad good? How does it add to our lives? Well, it's just the idea of there are times we need alternate controllers. And one of the fallacies of virtual reality, and it's something I love talking about, is you watch the movies, and it's big hand motions. And if you think, no, our life is about the smallest motions possible. Yeah. It's about the least amount of effort to do something. So if you're thinking about, like, I need to be able to control something silently, quietly, and very, very with small motions. So, again, for people with disabilities, it's brilliant. And if you're thinking about something like, you know, where I have to do something, where I need my hands to do something else, but I need to be able to have one more aspect of control, this this could be a game changer. Let's move into the area that I will tell you excites me the most. Uh-oh. Food tech. Food tech. I love the idea of food tech. This this just plain excites me. Tell everyone about the Will Cook oven bag. Well, first of all, he was a hoot. Uh, <laughs> this guy. So when, you, when you're looking at these technologies, some of these things are like, um, that's $4,000 and takes up half my kitchen and does one thing. But the Will Cook guy had a bag. And, you know, I've seen a lot of these, like, portable heating things or, like, you know, your lunch will sort of warm itself on the go. And that's kind of cool if you're a commuter. I'm not. And this guy, I go, oh, look at the bag. And I went to put my hand in the bag. And he's like, no, because it was, it was I burned myself. And it turns oh, no. out this bag heats up to 100 degrees centigrade. That's two, 212 Fahrenheit, right? So this thing will cook your food, and it's a little battery-powered thing. It's not out yet, of course. It's one of those ones where we have to wait for it. But apparently the idea is if you you, you got to put food in there, and I was joking about I was going to run to Walmart, get a steak, put it in there, and then let's walk around the day and go, oh, look, it's cooked. But he was talking about not just from like a commuting perspective or a camping perspective, but from an emergency perspective that like in areas where there's some, you know, some tragedy has happened and the electricity is out and the elderly and children need warm food and all of a sudden you can cook it because it's battery powered in this bag. And you're like, wow. So they see sort of I like companies that see multiple angles for their products because they're willing to know that it's not just this one little thing. You mentioned uh, you mentioned that he was a hoot, and we talked on Monday's show all about innovators and and what greases the wheels to innovation. We encourage everyone to check out that show online. How important is it that they be barkers? That it's not just about the tech, and we talked a little bit about the display, but also about the personalities that are talking to you about this tech. Well, it's kind of fun for me because so I'm an educator, and and I work in education, and so my job is to always translate what I hear and what I see. So I walk up to a booth, they'll give me a spiel for like five or 10 minutes, and then I'll pull out my phone and I'll make a video that lasts between one and three minutes, and I will concisely give them their entire pitch back at them, and they'll go, that was better than me. And they get really mad. And I laugh because part of it is they should be mad because they don't, they don't see their product. But the people who are like open-minded about it, right. they give their stick to me better than I give it to them. They have a sense of what their product is and they have a sense of, again, who they're talking to. The weirdest part about going to these shows is talking to booths that don't know why they're there. What are you here for? And they can't answer it. They're just there. Are they looking for partners? Are they looking for buyers? Are they looking to sell product? And they just don't know why they're there. So they're spending all this money and I've got no idea why. I teach my students about elevator pitch, and you can't skip that last sentence of what's your call to action? What do you want people to do? 
folks get in on this conversation, call 866-578-0903 or 216-578-0903. Email us, soi at ideastream.org. Tweet us at Sound of Ideas. Those are different ways to communicate with us. Tell us about communication tech. Was there anything that leapt off the page about how we communicate with each other? Oh, that's a good question. You know, interestingly enough, I did see, you know, everyone's trying to sell me sort of phone accessories. And if you want to sell me, you sell me a phone accessory. You know, I will buy your battery pack. I will buy your clip. I will buy your case. I will. And I've gone through all of it. The weirdest one was there was, I think it was Planet Computing. I'm sure I got that name wrong. That was not somebody I normally would have talked to. And at one point, I was kind of dismissing them. I will be honest with you. I was very dismissive. I'm like, you're selling Linux boxes. This is not consumer tech. And then he opens up the box and he shows me a 20 terabyte SSD drive. And I was drooling. And then I'm like, wow. And he goes, you really want to see something cool? And the the the, the, the guy pulls out of his pocket a cell phone with full size these giant keys on the cell phone like you know the the sliding cell phone with these giant keys i'm like what is this he goes that's a cell phone we make that you've never heard of and i'm like boy look at those keys like so part of me was very excited about that too the mudra band am i Uh, pronouncing that correctly the mudra band you were demonstrably excited about that one so when this is where you you go every year so one of the things that I have to explain to my boss, because the question is, is you know, why, why does Case send me every year? Thank you, Case, for sending me every year, is because you can build relationships with companies and you can see trends you would never see before. When I saw the Mudra band last year, it was like, wow, that's really cool tech. I wonder if they'll ever turn into a product because it was still at the infancy of it. And when I saw it this year, it was like, oh, you can buy one now. And this band, which is, uh, attaches to your Apple Watch, though it doesn't really need your Apple Watch, but attaches to your Apple Watch, it reads the nerve impulses in your wrist and allows you to, well, whatever you want to do with those nerve impulses. And unlike other devices, which really trigger off of the muscle impulses, where it's like it's the tendon movement or whatever, this is literally just nerve impulses. So as he was explaining to me, it's your brain that's pushing the nerve signals, even if you don't move your hand, and all of a sudden you're able to control things, and that was wild tech. Jared, I am what my friends call botanically challenged. I am the guy who they me too. I, I I will kill any plant that you bring me, and the more that you say no, 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 it will survive in your house, the quicker it will die. Tell us about moss air. You know, okay, so I got I got to be a full disclaimer on these things. I get so enthusiastic about technology that people think I'm always promoting them. And I'm very, very clear. If I'm promoting it, I will say I am promoting it. I know nothing about the actual efficacy of Moss Air, but it was cool. So the idea was is that you would get these um, – you would get these these uh, uh, strips of moss, basically, that you would put on your desk in the size of like a desk, like, size of a water bottle, basically, and it would run like a humidifier through the moss, and that humidifier through the moss apparently cleans the air around you, and you're supposed to be able to buy it on Amazon, and the the moss itself needs to be replaced like every like few years, it's only twenty dollars to replace it. It's not like a full air type thing, but the logic is pretty good. You know, having a little piece of moss on your desk, running water through it to sort of clean up the, the air around you, it sounds good. It looks cool. I can't say it's real. I can just say it's a real product. I might not kill that one. No, I don't think I don't think you will. It looked really, really good. And here's the best part. It was 20 bucks to replace it, the, the, the moss. So if you did, I think you'd be safe. 
Now, I, if you had, and let's not reveal if you did, the, the Case Western Reserve credit card, it sounds like you would have used it to buy the surround chair from, is it called Zeopod? Yeah, that's not even out yet. That was a demo piece, uh, the Zeopod. So I'm huge on surround sound audio as, as an artist and as a designer. That's like a big part of what I'm interested in because VR is not just visuals. And I did a sound piece years ago where I built like a 12, uh, 12 foot, you know, art installation. And here's this, you know, 7.2.2 surround sound audio chair. And I sat in it and it was just like, oh, it was great. And I mean, that's the kind of thing that you wait a few years and I might find myself getting one somehow. There, there actually are several things that, again, I don't have the Case Western credit card, and I'll never will. There are some <laughs> things, though, that when I come back, I will be like, all right, we need to order a couple of these items because they're interesting for us, not just from R&D, but we might lend them in the library or we might use them in our media center. My boyfriend is a flight attendant, and we were talking last night about babies crying on airplanes and how that affects. You folks can't see the reaction that Jared just had because he knows where I'm headed with this one. We wonder maybe sometimes, do we wonder what are babies doing when they're crying? And it sounds like we might be able to figure that out. So, so this is, you know, I when you're at the, the Las, Vegas, Las Vegas Convention Center, there's different areas. And one of the areas is called Eureka Park, where basically you got the small booths. You got the people who are like, I don't know. I mean, that was the one one year some guy had an electric potato. I mean, it was crazy stuff. It was the first wireless potato when he was just looking for a job. And the thing is, as I pass this booth and it says, uh, AI translates your baby's cries. And I'm like, well, you're getting a video. I mean, I'm gonna film a video here. So I make the opening part where I'm like, this is ridiculous. And that's before I walk up and talk to them because I'm gonna do two parts. And then I'm like, all right, hit me. And the guy was like, all right, here's what you got to know. Babies don't think in language. We're not saying they do. We know they don't. They're not developed enough. That being said, if that's the case, then all the baby's noises are reflexive. And biologically, there's not that much difference from baby to baby. And they did analysis of all these babies' cries because there aren't that many variations. And with the AI software and with the analysis that they've done, there's science behind this to say that Basically, you can translate a baby's cry into what type of cry it is. And here's the best part. Whether you're laughing and screaming at the radio right now going, I don't believe you, here's the way I look at it. They're not selling a product. They're selling a service. They're selling a service for like 10 bucks a month. If you sign up for this service and it doesn't work, you're going to cancel it. So they're banking on the fact that even they believe what they're selling you. So, yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I was curious. Okay. Jared, I have somehow been able to con both my current next-door neighbors and the people who lived in the house before them to mow my lawn. But Uh it sounds like there's some tech that might get me out of that arrangement. There has been for years. Okay. You can get robotic lawnmowers. And I'm not going to say that I saw the first robotic lawnmower uh, because, by the way, they didn't either, thankfully. And I walked up to a bunch of them, and what was neat about the robotic lawnmowers were, first of all, I just think about them turning on you. At the same time, there's a guy who's got a um, a phone hooked up to his robotic lawnmower, and that robotic lawnmower goes live on TikTok and has made so much money for him that the lawnmower is getting to upgrades on himself because he's earning the money to get a, a bit to upgrade himself. This robotic lawnmower that I saw, which doesn't even exist yet, it's Kickstarter. Um, it was cute. It was small. It was only a couple thousand dollars. My favorite part of it, though, which he only told me at the end, and I'm like, you could have led with this, and I would have been all over this, was they they have this feature 
where it can do like different heights and it can draw pictures in your lawn so that you could literally have like words or, or hearts or whatever. Like you can give it graphics and it'll have like two tiered lawn heights. I like walking up to the lawnmower guys because I like to go, what about dog poop? Because I just want to see how they respond. And wow, the responses are so varied and not radio appropriate. And by the way, crop circles, we can do those more easily now. I, if, I could, if I could make my own crop circle in my lawn just to freak out my neighbors, I would want one of these. I do love when tech is disguised as more old-timey things. So so tell us about the Crossley booth and what they offered. So Crossley has been a really uh, a favorite of mine for years because, you know, I think, you know, my friends are all audiophile snobs. I have a record person myself. And people are like, you know, stay away from Crossley. And, you know, I remember the first time I walked up to the booth and they started telling me really interesting stories about why they're an important company. You know, the, my favorite thing from Crossley is this. If they sold a million turntables last year, which I don't know if that's a real number, the, even if they're little little cheap turntables, nobody just buys one record. They're like potato chips. If you're starting to, with records, you're going to buy, what, three, four, five? Right. So one cro- you know, a million Crossy turntables is five million records. They're making the record industry happen again more than somebody else. And more importantly, the, they're not bad turntables. Even a cheap turntable, I don't care where you go, they're really, no matter how bad your turntable is, the records are more resilient than not. More amateurs are going to break their records physically than they, with a turntable. And uh, and it's really kind of interesting to think about that. The other thing that I liked about Crossley was is that they really are a design brand. So that when you look at them, they're not selling one turntable. They have like, you know, different colors and shapes and whatever. So much so that when I was leaving the booth, they're like, you know, we sell furniture too. And I'm like, what? And that makes sense because they're selling furniture. Yeah. Real quick, a couple sentences before we close. Anything we can look forward to for 2025? I have no idea. No, um, AI is is, is a lot of hype, but smart is a real thing as well. So if you can make your life easier, if you can literally figure out what's going to make your life better – then and integrate it, then buy it. But if it's just a toy because you think someone else has it, leave it alone. Jared Bendis, Case Western Reserve University and the Cleveland Institute of Art. Everyone must follow him, Jared X2. Jared, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. If you still have thoughts on today's show, we would love to hear them. You can send emails to soi at ideastream.org. You can also get in touch with us via Twitter. It's now X. We're at Sound of Ideas, or you can follow me. It's Dr. Ken Schneck, Dr. Ken Schneck. Tomorrow on the Sound of Ideas, we're going to talk about Shaker Square. The shopping center has been through some ups and downs in recent years, and we're going to dig into that more on tomorrow's show. If you missed any portion of this program, you can listen to the show on our website, ideastream.org, and you can also check us out in podcast form, hear a rebroadcast also at 9 on 89.7 WKSU. I'm Ken Schneck. In this week for Jenny Hamill, we'll be with you again tomorrow.